Welcome back to the Praying and Slaying Podcast, a Light the Fire Outdoors production. This episode kicks off a special three-part series with Aaron's younger brother, Chris, and the story of his first ever successful big game hunt on Wyoming antelope. In this first episode, the brothers reminisce on their days in the Air Force, go over the science of pressurized hot air, and tell stories of how Chris got interested in big game hunting. With that, let's jump in with Dem Boys, Aaron and Chris. Well, this has been a long time coming, mostly because of scheduling issues, I feel like. Um, Yeah, but you're a professional. I'm semi-professional. And uh, you got a busy schedule, so I'm glad to have you on, dude. So this, for everybody that's listening, is one of my most... There's a lot of buildup for me in this, because not only did we get my younger brother, who's six inches taller than I am, on a podcast, but... At least we also took him on his uh, not his first big game hunt ever. He did go a couple times in Iowa when we were growing up, but he's uh, he went on his first big game hunt with me in a long time. It's been a long time coming and he got his very first big game animal ever, which happened to be an antelope buck in Wyoming, which is awesome. So today kind of going to be a back and forth a little bit about uh, his his version of that tale because he's uh, if. I don't know. For those of you who've met my brother, he, him and I are a little bit opposite when it comes to personalities, ins and outs, just we're, we're different people, as you can imagine. I mean, everybody is, but uh, I'm super excited to just hear his version of events here because it never fails every time we get together and you hear him tell a story about something, no matter how you remember it, you always get more laughs out of it. And uh, it's always interesting to hear a different perspective. So a lot of anticipation behind this one. So with that, my little brother, Chris, I'm going to let him introduce himself and uh, just tell him a little bit about yourself as where you're at nowadays. Um, yeah, and just kind of give us an intro as to who you are, because I don't even know anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm Chris Stonehocker, uh, the younger Stonehocker. Um, <laughs> both born and raised in Iowa and then uh, went to college at Iowa State. Uh I had to start making money, so I got a job in Kansas City for about a year. Um, you don't have to get money. Job. You could live off mom and dad. They like you better uh, than me. I doubt that. You talk to them. <laughs> I don't. Um, or not that I don't. You've talked to them way more than I do. Um, but, yeah, so I went to Kansas City for about a year, and then that job moved me to Austin, Texas. Yeah, so been living down here in Austin. Uh, as you can see, I'm growing my hair back out figuring that yeah. out no it's very attractive um, and whatnot um just living the life down here playing volleyball eating tacos and <laughs> doing civil engineering so um yeah. not much outside of that but heck yeah so as he said my little brother three years younger than me uh six inches taller than me and he's living the the hot life down in texas I thought it was funny. Like, I don't know. He comes up. It's basically a family tradition at this point that Chris comes and visits us um, over Christmas. So my wife and I are in the military, as you guys know. Uh, We lived in Virginia for a few years. Chris came out every year for that, which is always an awesome tradition to have. Now we moved to Montana, polar opposite weather. But Chris has always come up and visit us as well. And over, was it two years ago? I don't don't remember exactly if it was two years or three years ago. Anyway, one of the first times we were up here in Montana for the Christmas uh chris i remember him sitting in the truck because it was too cold for him to go check out this uh, state park <laughs> that we were at so texas has definitely changed him from an iowa winter boy to a uh, a more warm-blooded individual well i mean i don't know if you can see but i'm wearing a jacket right now <laughs> and it's 67 degrees in the house so he is um i'm wearing a hoodie and it's 40 degrees out here in montana but i have no shirt underneath it. it's just a just a hoodie my casual go-to and he's wearing two shirts at 60 degrees in texas i don't know why you tried to raise the sex field the podcast but <laughs> wearing a shirt, but hey, seems unnecessary. i've got plenty of hair growing in there i'm turning into a man officially just ask jeff right. you brought the sex field back down so we're <laughs> back in the baseline All right. amen no that's awesome peaks man so what's that i said peaks and valleys yeah no absolutely there's definitely a valley between these chesticles that's for sure big valley there so no no just a little background on chris and i growing up um 
I don't know, man. This is like I said, every time I get together with my little brother, it's always a fun time. I always look forward to it. Um, but man, yeah, both, uh, I don't know, both did air force stuff. Chris was a, uh, a national guardsman as well for the United States air force did the exact same job I did with weapons. And then he transferred into civil engineering, which was cool because it actually transferred directly into what he does now as an engineer. No, not at all. He's shaking his head. Nope. <laughs> I, this is also cool. Cause I can see him in video. Oh. I never do podcasts with video going. So he's shaking his head. Know, so that's why I added it. No, it's uh, beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. No, uh, so I did emergency management, which the whole reason I did it is because it's grouped into the civil engineering, like squadron and the whole setup is how the Air Force throws it in there. Uh, but I didn't fully realize until I'd already kind of applied to get it during the whole BRAC and everything change um, that it has little to do with civil engineering. If any type of engineering it has probably much more to do with chemical engineering uh, due to the sea burn effect. And it's just uh, fire and uh, EM mercy management are essentially as uh, the fire chief word at the redheaded stepchildren of civil engineering. You got to know where else that. to go. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, essentially, I was like, I thought it'd be a great resume builder to be able to graduate college. And be like, oh, yeah, I've been doing, you know, some sort of civil engineering stuff, you know, for the Air Force too for years. And then it looks good on a resume and they ask you about it. And it's like, yeah, you know, I've been in a gas chamber with Saren and VX nerve agents. That was pretty neat. Um, and yeah, I've played with bombs or not really, but looked at a lot of diagrams and played yeah. the fake ones. Uh, but yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. Total fun stuff. So, but yeah, cool background to have. Um, yeah. Now he's a civil engineer down in Texas. But uh, so as far as background and in, into hunting, the thing that I remember the most about Chris and I growing up is going over to our grandma and grandpa's house on my mom's side. Every time we went over there from my earliest memories, I guess I'm sure before this time we didn't, but there were always BB guns. We always seemed to find a way to find something to shoot, whether it was making potato guns or um, like, I feel like we always had BB guns. I mean, do you remember like going back to like, uh, what was that? that craft store grandma used to always like to go to and they had like the end cap with the copperhead bbs yeah ben franklin's i just remember like the coolest part of the day was going over there grabbing the big nine million pack open like milk carton container of bbs and then going back to your grandma and grandpa's and finding stuff to shoot at. Yeah. which I'm, I'm sure they meant well with that design but i think about a quarter of them always ended up in the uh, garage gravel and oh for sure or in the grass baby shot out a lawnmower yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, now I, because uh, I remember, I think Grandpa, my, I can't remember if it was Uncle Justin's or Uncle Sean's, had that old pellet gun there for the longest time, but it seemed to have a not so slow leak or something because we would <laughs> pump it 12 to 15 to 24 times uh, to get a shot and it still hit a bird and fall off it. Um, yeah, and we, then I remember, like, we finally started buying some. So you started buying some because you had your uh, hot dog money from Stu Anthons. Amen. Um, and I remember Brandon and I broke that. Or I didn't mean to break it, but we are breaking stuff in the burn pit and uh, needed something <laughs> to break glass so we didn't want to cut ourselves with. So we used the barrel of that thing and didn't realize we bent it and uh, in the process and destroyed it, but... Yeah, so, so. no plug for Red Rider. I hope they're not sponsored this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> that was a Red Rider, wasn't it? Yeah, their BB guns don't stand up to the average eight eight year old abuse. No, yeah, uh, Red Rider is cool for the Christmas story, not so cool for the Stonehawker story. Yeah, you uh, you find something to break. So our grandparents always had this burn pit that was uh, we had built like this clubhouse. I don't know, ten feet from this burn pit that my grandpa had. It was what real safe eight yeah. <laughs> yeah eight foot by eight foot wide or something. I don't know, mm -hmm. just this giant like square fenced in area that he threw crap to burn. And so our hobby, whenever we'd go over there for the weekend, once we had pellet guns was to figure out what was in there that was still something we could pull out that hadn't blown up or burnt yet, put it in the burn pit, set up a series of targets and shoot the crap out of it. That was, that was the weekend fun.
What's up, guys? It's Aaron coming at you with a break from the podcast here to remind you to go over and check out lightthefireoutdoors.com. And today I want to just make sure I call out specifically the Blackhound Optics 4 to 14 by 44 first focal plane mill scope. And that's actually the scope that I was using on my new 6.5 PRC on this hunt, as well as um, the gun that I took down with my brother to Wyoming on a hunt you're going to hear about here in a next follow-on episode podcast. But man, these Blackhound optics, I can't say enough about them. The price point, first and foremost, is absolutely phenomenal. You get way more than what you pay for with these scopes. Second, the glass quality is amazing. I've been able to see, you know, during bear season, I was out uh, filming deer across the canyon at last light in dark timber at like seven, 800 yards. And you could just totally make them out. Awesome glass clarity tons of light transmission there and they allow for easy follow-up shots first year getting into the mill scopes uh, from moa and i absolutely love it the reticle makes it super easy for holdovers my brother and i made some pretty cool long shots you're going to hear about on the next podcast and uh, yeah so if you are in the market for a rifle scope consider supporting light the fire outdoors and the praying and slam podcast by getting yours from us at lightthefireoutdoors.com at the shop check out all of the blackhound optics we have to offer and like i said they make a great scope great price point and you're supporting veterans conservation and ministry outreach here at light the fire outdoors by getting yours from us so let's get back to this hunt and hear more about how i used my blackhound optic 4 to 14 by 44 to finish up this hunt so there's plenty of stories around that um, I remember one time, I don't remember what pellet gun it was. I think it was the one. So he also, our grandpa on my mom's side raised hogs. And so when he got rid of his hog business, he would, uh, he took all the Quonset huts and all this extra junk and he kind of like, I don't know if he bulldozed it or what, he put it all in this big pile. We always called it the junk pile, I think down in, the the far end of his yard. So Chris and I were, we'd always go down there and dink around and there was always rabbits and random things that would hide out in there. Well, we end up finding, like you said, that random pellet gun that you'd pump a million times and it would just barely squeak a pellet or a BB out the end of it. And mm-hmm. I remember I, I'm almost positive it was that one. Maybe it was a different pellet gun, but anyway, the, the first hunt I think you and I ever went on outside of sparrows and stuff was uh chasing a rabbit around the yard and the one thing i remember about this rabbit was we scared it out of that pit with whatever pellet gun we had and we'd take turns off and on shooting at this thing when it would stop running but it was always it would run in this like square shaped like route around the yard so it'd run to one corner and stop we'd sneak up on it we'd shoot it it would run to the next corner and stop we'd sneak up on it and shoot it there and I don't remember which one of us. All I remember is like one of us finally pinwheeled it through the eyeball <laughs> and it did this huge backflip. And then we had this trophy. The first trophy picture in the Stonehawker family, I think, was us holding this rabbit up in front of Grandma and Grandpa's house, proud as hell. Mm. Yeah, that rabbit definitely didn't want to survive because it had uh, had many opportunities to escape. I mean, so many endless <laughs> opportunities and it just chose not to. Um, yeah. Or it was just cocky. I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty sure we hit it a good five, six, seven, eight times before hitting it someplace that mattered. And uh, maybe it was just <laughs> laughing at us. But, with, but yeah, with the uh, arsenal we didn't have uh, at our disposal. Um, but yeah, I guess we technically got the last laugh on it. Um, but, <laughs> I don't know if it was a laugh or a cheer. It's pretty yeah. exciting when it finally went down for the final count. It was definitely shock. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Then I, I think moving on from pellet guns, I mean, pellet guns never got old. I think we had them our entire young adult life, even into the teens and in high school and stuff and had fun with them there. But then we had, uh, grandpa had an old, uh, oh, I think it was a bear. I don't even know the model, some old bear bow. And then, and that was a, like the very earliest version of a compound. If you can imagine that for adults, not like a kid shooting bow. And then there was also a recurve that was always hanging in his garage. And we finally got into those. And I remember shooting boxes. I don't know if we ever hunted with those or like hunted around his house for rabbits or anything. I think we always just shot boxes and stuff with those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was kind of fun. And then I remember pinwheeling some rabbits. <laughs> I think it was with you with uh, blow guns. And those are a whole different ballgame. Yeah, that was uh, that was one of those things where I thought I wasn't hitting it. Um, I thought I was just scaring it. And then shit i don't know it was like can't remember it was the same year but it was like the year or so later uh when you got your ar and grandma uh was sick of all the rabbits eating a rhubarb and so 
all but paid us to shoot rabbits. We saw them and uh, we found out just what an AR can do to a rabbit um, by shooting it. And when we found the two pieces of the rabbit up there by the rhubarb, it had little needles sticking out of it that looked like they'd been there for a oh. long time and it had just healed and I totally. And it's like, oh, I guess we were hitting it. I, I was just staring at it because it didn't react much. Like it didn't seem like it was getting hit. And they were just those tiny little needle things that weren't like, you know, they weren't easy to see that you could just see it sticking out of it running off. It was just yeah. Thought I was missing and going into the grass. Yeah, totally forgot about that. Yeah. So we and our the blowguns that we got, you had it came with, I don't know, three or four different styles of them. And one of them had like a bladed out and like basically if you took a you took a needle ham, you know, heated it up and took a hammer and just smashed the end of it. That was basically the, the point on these things. But it, in our minds, it was like this broadhead. So we were out there trying to hunt rabbits and stuff with these uh, blow guns. And I totally forgot about that. Yeah. So one time, like he said, we were out, grandma was trying to tell us, Hey, get these rabbits out of my garden. <laughs> and we had an AR-15 at the time, which was a major upgrade from anything that we had had previous <laughs> <laughs> in terms of firepower. So anyway, we went out there and we ended up getting a couple of rabbits. Yeah, one of, I totally forgot about that. One of them had still stuck in it from however long ago, the, these friggin' blowgun darts in it, which was insane. So yeah, blowguns are not a tool for hunting rabbit. Huh? Yeah, further proof of those rabbits just don't want to live because, I mean, that thing had years after getting i don't even know how many needles stuck in its body and still decided like hey i like this farm (laughs) right i could have gone to any other farm in the the vicinity there were several yeah i'll never upgrade to firepower i can do this oh i'll I'll take an acupuncture treatment every couple of years and see how it goes (laughs) and then outside of hunting we got into uh um potato guns those are like by far and large still one of my favorite things i'm like super excited to get back into them someday i just travel and it's like you don't want to be having the movers come pack your stuff and there's like 15 potato guns in your garage they got thrown back to your car when you're doing the ori exercise i remember the first couple of days of that <laughs> i uh forgot i had the clementine in the back of my car until i was grabbing or i was going to throw my mop gear bag into the back of my car after one of the days and saw it sitting there and i was like this thing looks like a for lack of better term an ied i mean just pvc pipe <laughs> all sealed up into a pipe with a cap in with a red button on the end of it and just had in back of my trunk so i guess security forces technically failed their inspection there because yeah i'd been on base two or three days straight with that but that's um that's confidence in your military right there (laughs) yeah for those of you who need Uh, it but so uh ori for what is is an operational readiness inspection so basically on a guard base every other base i'm sure does it too but they do it's like your your ore wasn't because it was the exercise exercise or okay. is like the prep isn't it uh, it's been so long i can't remember but i think e would have been when we we're actually like sitting out there a the two-week deal yeah running yeah stuff so when you're in the guard you know they always they advertise you know oh be a part-time airman you're gonna get you know uh one weekend a month two weeks a year the ore was our two weeks a year deal but yeah so anyway there was always the hold your breath moment because you're so used to going on and off you know during guard duty of you know not it's it's 100 military but it's like whatever you're going to see your buddies for the weekend or whatever right quote unquote 100 military so either way you know you're always looking forward to guard becoming well within these they have these two week long uh basically they're basically two weeks of when you act for the most part in whatever career field you're in like you're doing uh your full-time air force job 24 7 basically so you but then during that of course the security tightens up quite a bit in terms of like what they go through and the exercises they have to do for all the little facets of their job. So yeah, it's always funny. The guys that get on base, um, that have a trunk full of beer that, you know, may or may not shouldn't have beer in their trunk or, or Chris having a, you know, PVC pipe potato gun that looks like it's totally something different is you trunk. You're always holding your breath when you go through and the, or you're not holding your breath, but then you get into the work day and you realize what you got on base with, you're like, uh, definitely shouldn't have that. Like, I better, better put it back. I'm glad I wasn't one of the cars that got inspected today. Yeah. But anyway, so what that's where we might have to cut that piece. I don't know if that's, that's, that might be well, statute limitations. <laughs> I guess I don't know if it's technically a crime in the first place. I think it's just, yeah. Yeah. No. So potato guns were a huge thing, man. I remember, uh, so we both worked at a hardware store. Uh, the guy that owned the hardware store, thank God we lived in a small town. He always like would like semi lend us his shop at the end of the night, like where they'd go basically this old hardware building that they didn't use anymore. 
but he always would store stuff in there. But anyway, we could go in there and like, we'd buy the supplies at the hardware store, all this PVC pipe, PVC glue, things to shoot out of the potato gun, whatever we could figure out would fit in the barrel. And then we'd go in Damn, there. I'm going to use his like, name on this podcast now. No, I'm not sure I don't know if we should use the for, name. Uh... Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to burn his business to the ground. But uh, we definitely, also, uh, what's that? I also didn't find out until college that apparently, and I can't remember, I think I looked it up for Iowa and I can't remember now because it's been 10 years. Uh, but they're considered in like a like unlisted firearm in a lot of states and so it's like either just a crime or in some states apparently it's like up to a felony to make potato guns because it'd be and it's like class like some states where they have like such like vaguely worded laws it falls technically into the same category as if you were just like making unregistered firearms in your garage and whatnot no Uh, just because they never thought that there'd be 18 year old kids sawing pvc pipe and shooting potatoes out of their backyard they're just like oh well people are manufacturing their own guns without regulations <laughs> like well technically okay that fits that like um because i remember uh i used the clementine the small little it was my version of a portable potato gun so instead of having like a six <laughs> foot long one it was like it was like two foot barrel and two foot tank and so i could just toss it in my trunk um, I used it for an engineering project in high school for like a college or credit class I was taking called principles of engineering for one of our projects dealing with like pneumatics and mechanical engineering and I was like oh pneumatics like I got PVC tubes in my garage and I can you know I ran it by the high school teacher like I make a potato gun and I had to show her videos on YouTube to explain what it was and like why I thought it fit the criteria <laughs> of the project and she's like, oh, she's like, yeah, you know, that's creative. Like, I've never had that. But she's like, sure, you know, like, and it was a super easy project. I already had it made, so I didn't have to do anything. And my project, or my partner is totally on board. And I told him that. I was like, dude, it's in my car right now. Like, we've got it. Like, we don't have to do anything. Um, we just, yeah. And uh, anyways, so I, I explained to her, like, the teacher, because we had to, like, show her, you know, projects at the end of that project portion or whatever. And so some people made like little like connects cars that were like hydro cell powered and stuff and, you know, wanted to show they're smart. Um, and then <laughs> I pulled the Clementine out of the truck of my car and I was like, I don't know if you just want to see it or if you, if you have to show that it works. And she's like, well, she's like, we can go to the football field and shoot it if you want, you know, like, and I was like, okay, like, you know it's your job i don't yeah i don't care like (laughs) like i'm i'm a minor they're not gonna touch me um but sure (laughs) like uh and so pull the car over to that side of the football field and uh get it out and there's a pe class running laps around the track oh nice and so i i told my I don't want to say her name either, I guess. Uh, I told her, <laughs> and I was like, uh, <laughs> Mrs. I was like, I for lack of a better Yeah, I was like, I don't know if they'll want to be there. And she's like, oh, she's like, she's like, yeah, we should probably say something to them. And uh, so she went and told them what we were doing. And they just, we were at one end zone. They were at the other, and they just decided to go to the other end zone to watch. And all I had, I didn't bring potatoes because I didn't plan ahead. Why would you? So, yeah. I, so I just had golf balls in the back of my car. <laughs> And so I told, because I told her that from the get-go, I was like, yeah, like, you know, I can shoot a two-inch pipe, you know, you can do potatoes if you want, uh, but you can also shoot, like, golf balls. I didn't say the D and C batteries and stuff, we figured it out later. Um, but I was like, you can shoot golf balls, you know, a decent distance, and I think I left it at that, the decent distance. And uh, so I'm, I don't know, she wasn't dumb by any means, like, but I think she was thinking, like, oh, they're 130 you know, yards with the end zone and the little area behind it, like, and whatever. Uh, like, <laughs> major underestimation. And uh, so I told her, I was like, no, this thing, like, I, it, they're in the line of fire. Like, they shouldn't be there. And she's like, it, do you really think, you know, you're believing your project that much? And I was like, the water tower is beyond the uh, <laughs> football field. <laughs> entrance is like, I bet I could hit the water tower from here. <laughs> And she actually bet me five dollars. I couldn't do it. No, way. it took me the second. The first shot went over it. Uh, the second <laughs> shot, it was a little delayed, and I thought I missed it again. So I was starting to like reload it when you just hear like the boom, like radiated all the way through, like back, and I made five dollars from it. 
But I tried doing the same thing when I got to college for my first physics class um, when we were doing a project or something. And I asked, I was like, can I make a potato gun? You know, because I was going to do the same thing. I, oh, yeah. like, I, I already have oh, it. I got like, it. I'll just uh, drive home, get out of mom and dad's garage, dust it off and make sure it still sparks. Yeah. Um, and that teacher went off on me. Well, absolutely not. He's like, that is a federal crime. That is yada, yada, yada. And he's like, if I ever see oh that in my God. classroom, I will report you. Like, it's my obligation and like duty. And like, just went on a, I mean, he wasn't a great, like, great dude. Like he was kind of a dick, was. but, wow. but, uh, but yeah, like, he just, no, he knew what it was. Cause I tried to explain, I was like, no, it's just PC. It's not an actual, like, it's a, it's not an actual gun. It's more of like a cannon with hairspray. He's like, yeah. no, I know what they are. He's like, I've, I've seen them, you know, online or online oh. and stuff. And they're like, and so I thought he was just, just being a dick. Um, and so that's when I went home and Googled it and I was like, oh, I was like, huh. never would have thought of that. But I was like, I guess it kind of almost like how weed laws are nowadays where there's like the CBD stuff where it's like, oh, technically that's a loophole because it's, it wasn't, it wasn't around when they wrote the law. So they didn't even think about it right. or like the, whatever it is now that's legal here in Texas, like Delta eight, same thing. It's like, oh, well, the chemical formula for THC when they wrote these laws was Delta nine. And so they wrote it for Delta nine, not thinking somebody would just be like, Oh, I'll remove some stuff and make a new strain. Like, <laughs> uh, and so now it's a loophole or whatever that, you know, has it on shelves. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I, it's the policy of Chris Donock who neither confirm or deny that I had, you know, different, like four or five different types of potato guns in yeah. or around my possession at different times, but, yeah, I, it I may or may not have been fine. I can either confirm or deny. No, for sure. Keep your anonymity um, alive and well, but uh, screw oh, it. I, I had plenty like of the them. Here. Uh, I full blown <laughs> had plenty, and I still have. I still have at least two living ones. Um, you had full blown spuds. Yeah. Full blown, full blown spud cannons. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should just come up with a term because if you ever look on Facebook nowadays, like all the you know Facebook, basically being anti gun, they. Uh, any like all the gun shops and stuff if they're advertising anything they always like spell words out or like for you know a, a 223 caliber they'll be like the number two the spelled out number two and then t-r-e like they'll say tree or something but like for advertising they have ammo in stock or whatever so facebook like won't demonetize their posts or block them or whatever which is pretty stupid but um, for this podcast we're gonna i'm not no, I'm not going to. We have potato guns and we're proud of them. They're pretty damn cool. I need to look at the state of Iowa statute. So now, because now you got me curious, which I'll post in the yeah. show notes if I find them. So did yeah. you, via this teacher and your research, did you find out that we may or may not have been doing things that, that may or may not officially be illegal for the state of Iowa? Like I said, I remember, I remember going home uh, and Googling it and whatnot and looking into it and stuff and but that's where I found out a very state to state. I just, I can't remember what Iowa's was. Um, and now I'm trying to Google it now. But, uh. <laughs> if you find it, send me the link. We'll put it in the show notes. But so that was, that was, uh, gosh, dang, dude, we had so much fun with those things. I don't know what, so I, I, did you confirm the distance between the, um, did you confirm the distance between you and that water tower? No, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to, uh, john wayne's birthplace is high school uh <laughs> but uh yeah it had it had a similar like set of bigger slightly bigger scale but like similar setup to like Earlham's, yeah uh football field and stuff where it's oval track around whatever they had a little beefier track because it was all leather and they had like county track meets and stuff there but um behind that they had some sort of i don't know if it was like a bus garage or like a maintenance building there's some building it's kind of like a Morton building. And then beyond that was the water tower. Uh, okay. So, I mean, I, like I said, I was sitting on the goal line of the far side of the football field from it. So, I mean, it would have been 110 yards of the back of the end zone on the other side, plus whatever that little oval shape uh, past that would have been for the yeah. track. I don't know how wide that property was behind it for that building, but it looked like it was immediately beyond that property. So, like, at least probably upper 100-something yards, maybe low 200-something yards. That's um, and then, it, and then it was going up to, it was the height of a water tower. I was hitting the tank of it. I wasn't, you know, hitting, just trying to hit the footing of it by any means. Uh, that, but, that's my brother, ladies and gentlemen, the engineer, he's thinking a squared plus B squared equals C squared. And I'm just like, how far can a float, the, the can theorem, a crow so. fly to get there? 
<laughs> he's also thinking wind drag and the golf balls dimples do certain things to air and everything else but uh no that, the reason i asked is because the because the clementine was a pretty short model so i don't know how much we were this might just turn into a potato gun podcast but but the so the clementine was like one of the shortest versions i think for sure that you ever i don't think i made one even close to that short but normally like you said like these things were as tall as we were so like pushing four to six feet long between the tank and the barrel and these things would just sail some taters like downrange dude like one of the ones i don't remember if it was a two inch so we, we dabbled between well i think everything from probably three quarters inch all the way up to two inch barrels no we had a few that were bigger because we were wasn't didn't we make one that we tried to make uh we were going to try to launch like uh, paper towel rolls for tping houses during homecoming or something yeah but it was i can't remember if we tried it or if we just figured out that it was going to be a hassle because <laughs> you would have to get it to fit perfectly around yeah if you're gonna do paper towels if you're gonna do toilet paper or whatever uh, but then you have to fill the middle solidly enough because oh, i want it yeah that's what i mean but you'd have to pack it strong enough that it would be easier for the potato gun to push the whole thing out than it would just to shoot the pressure out the middle <laughs> squirt the, um squirt the paper yeah. towel roll out the middle yeah there. also i did find um, oh, a legal help website where somebody had asked if potato guns were illegal in iowa oh. and then to be more specific west des moines iowa <laughs> and it says as a matter of statewide statutory law possession of a potato gun is care by or class uh, i'm skipping lines here is characterized as a class d felony if the device what? is powered if the device okay okay is powered by anything except for air so the pneumatic ones the purely pneumatic air pressure ones are perfectly legal they're classified really as so like so like just like a pelican thank god that's um, all we had yeah i mean we just heated up air with different types of substances and had to push stuff right out um different household substances you can find at your local ben franklin's to give them another shout yeah, out they have the best um, hot air yeah <laughs> hot air is so great when it expands i love it's hot amazing. air it's amazing yeah favorite wow well that's a good thing we never use gunpowder no thank god <laughs> plus i don't even know how that would have worked i guess but like, that's why it's also weird that the stipulation to say like potato guns are only legal if you use air it's like what else technically pushes it out like, yeah air is what propels it that's actually a good point yeah all you do is you take something that heats up rapidly and then the air expands and it shoots the I'm pressure from the shoots be out great lawyers yeah no, that's perfect. exactly yeah well, so, no for me. <laughs> well and on the pneumatic ones you know one of the second models of pneumatic air guns that we made out of the several that we did um all pneumatic yep. yeah he had chris had a uh Oh, this like U-shaped one that damn near took his head off when we were building it. So I would actually argue that U-shaped pneumatic air guns might be less safe than inline pneumatic air guns. I almost feel like they should bump that down to a misdemeanor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I mean, so, being class D, it's almost right there. But so one of the so fast forward back again that we took that deep dive that makes me feel a little depressed and kind of slightly cautious <laughs> about who I should answer the door from for the next week. But uh, maybe that video of grandma shouldn't be circulating up there. <laughs> <laughs> she just flipped the knob. You saw it in the video. Oh, so that's true. She flipped the lever and released the air. So the uh, anyway, but some of these these uh, pneumatic air guns that we had, they would um, that what was the one? That, so I think it was one of the first ones. We did a two inch pipe, and we launched a potato from our house like all the way into the soccer fields we paced it off at like 100 and was it 193 it was two, yards? no because it, it went into uh the church almost the church parking lot it was just before the church parking lot yeah it, it was like 200 and something yards because we expected it to do maybe 80 to 100 <laughs> obviously we didn't run sailed. any numbers so i don't, I don't yeah. know what we were basing that off of if that was something off youtube or google or something yeah uh but yeah my early days in engineering it was much like well let's blow something up and see what happens um and it went way further than so much thought. further yeah a lot of guess and check not a lot of uh crunching numbers and figuring stuff out empirically it was it's more, amazing uh, what you learn in college about engineering it's, a, it's amazing we have 10 you know fingers yeah. um but yeah no that's awesome man so anyway so a lot of uh growing up a lot of fun grandma and grandpa's house always a good place to experiment and play around with things to see what they do like you said we're not going to get into the body armor <laughs> testing that we <laughs> did plenty of still got scars yeah but that's okay but uh <laughs> so 
but no, so like, as far as hunting's concerned, man, like, I don't know really how I even got into it on my own. Cause obviously Chris and I grew up in the same household. That was basically the intro to both of us for any kind of hunting grandma, and grandpa's pellet guns, rabbits, basic stuff. And then, uh, for me, it kind of just took a different route. Like I, I just got right into it. Like Chris has a famous story. He tells her mom and dad, were going to cancel cable. Cause I was the only person who utilized it to watch the hunting shows. And, uh, but for you, well, it's man, not that like, they were going to, it's that they did. That's why I lost <laughs> track of sports forever a decade. My bad. Uh-huh. So they, they, my parents, boo-hoo, I saved them a bunch of money by watching the hunting channel. So anyway, so like for me, I've always been kind of curious because you did get, so like into high school, was it high school, right? Like when you went on your first deer hunt? Yeah. Yeah. So you were in high school, worked at the store, you got your first shotgun. Like what got you into like, I want to go deer hunting for me i honestly don't really know i think it had a combination of us shooting guns i really found a big interest in it the bow thing got me interested and then i just kind of like i don't kind of became consumed with it but it was just kind of a natural thing but for you like what got you into say hey man i want to go my first deer hunt because i got into hunting got like 14 i think i got my first bow went on my first bow hunt shortly after that got a deer and then it progressed into shotgun season as it got a little bit older um and then you followed behind there with shotgun season we'd had a group that um our dad and and myself and a couple of his friends would go with and then chris fast forward a few years said hey i want to go like what what got you to say i want to go on a deer hunt i don't i don't even really know uh honestly i think part of it was just kind of getting older and realizing i mean in hindsight because i was so old back then but um just kind of like hearing you guys talk about it and it was something like you and dad had and it was something that uh seemed like it almost i mean it wasn't totally obviously as kayla went and stuff like that too but it almost seemed like a guy's weekend type thing um and as i was getting older and you know into like high school and stuff it's just kind of like oh like that like it wasn't even like i didn't even really know how i'd feel about it so it wasn't like it was like something i was like counting down the days until i was old enough that i would get a chance to and was like itching and scratching to do it um it was just more of like i can't like <laughs> kind of a story of a lot of things in life uh for me it was like oh i know i can do it like right. it's not like you know like i i've shot guns like i'm a good shot like you know whatever i can i especially back then like i was a twig you know i can go hike <laughs> hills in iowa it's not gonna like wear me out like i physically can do it and you know like every year i just hear stories of like oh like all the stuff at deer camp and yada yada and so like well, shit like i want to go you know yeah um and already like i was already at hunter safety because in our school it was what like two weeks or whatever during pe instead of pe you had hunter safety with the local town cop would come in and teach it yeah you got lucky uh, on that because i had to go to the old-fashioned one we had to go like winter go to john wayne's birthplace and uh oh you did yeah i had to drive down there for uh there was some like uh I think it was like a skeet shooting range or something that would put it on. So anyway, you drove out there, just down by Winterset, and they had a, a building that you could um, basically they put on a class once a year. So you go down there. You had to go down for like a Thursday and a Friday night, I think, and then Saturday you had to go do like a field test where they basically you, you had to walk around and demonstrate, you know, the proper gun handling things for crossing fences, handing off a gun to somebody, stuff like that. I don't think we had to shoot because they normally they would do like a trap shooting class. And I think for whatever reason, when I did that, that mine was canceled or something. They didn't do the shooting portion, but you had to, yet they set up like some demo stuff where you walked up and there was like a Turkey decoy set out on this thing. And they said, okay, there's your Turkey. You're, you're sitting against this tree. You're going to shoot it to walk me through your mental process. Like, so you basically had to say things like, Oh, I'm, the turkey's got a backdrop. There's a hill behind him, so I know what's behind him. So I'm not gonna, you know, potentially hit something past him and like different things like that. Was kind of the the thing that we had to do. I wish that we could have done MPE. That would have been a lot nicer. But I thought they just always done that at our own because we were the last class that did it uh, because there were a lot of uh, not just girls. Um, that's how when we were kids, we were always told it was like a lot of the girls' parents complained, but in hindsight, it probably wasn't the case. I think it was just that there were a lot of people that whether they're you know girls or not that just were like i i have no interest in hunting i'm never gonna go hunting why am i missing out on my steel to pin days and knockout days you know yeah. to learn about gun safety and to learn about whatever 
and it's not a voluntary thing it's like no this is just your schedule like everyone in the class is doing it you're in the class so guess what you're doing it but isn't um, that looking back on it now isn't that almost i guess th- just this just crossed my mind i almost feel like that's better because pe is like the one class that you look forward to because you literally don't learn anything <laughs> but then like they're actually adding value to the course by saying hey you can actually walk out of here a certificate that you may or may not ever use but at least you got it yeah i don't know um I, I, I can see both ways because like uh especially in today's day and age like like if it wasn't our class that ended it um there would have been some class uh because i can only imagine if their kid comes home like what do you learn today it's like i learned how to load a shotgun They're like what <laughs> uh and stuff but yeah uh but yeah i mean i could see it because i mean like pe uh, i think like kind of and i could be completely wrong in this uh does my credit for maybe in a teacher herself but um is like an outlet for kids especially at a young age it's like you have all this pent-up energy you, you know you like especially early on because like early on days like you're just literally it almost seems like that's what it's meant for yeah, you have recess and stuff too but it's like here is an hour here are dodgeballs who do you hate in the class aim for their face <laughs> um don't kill each other but burn off energy yeah and uh, <laughs> i'm gonna be in my sure. office at, and unless i hear anyone crying like uh, and Yep. That's just what it felt like. And so I'm going to change uh, careers. You just made that sound very appealing. I mean, there's a PE teacher opening, I believe it does a school. Um, <laughs> but. Perfect. That's awesome. So deer camp for you was kind of more of the draw, I guess. And by deer camp, it, uh, there was always a saying at the, this deer camp, I don't know if it even had, like, you couldn't even really give it a name. It was just a conglomeration of people. We happened to be part of it. But there was always a saying, what happens at deer camp stays at deer camp. So that allure in here and that kind of stuff was like, kind of like, hey, man, like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, it sounded like Vegas. And I wasn't old enough to go to Vegas yet. But It was basically Vegas. I mean, we gambled every cent we had away. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot Mainly less. on money. beer and bologna cheese and bologna cheese and whatever. <laughs> bologna but, yeah. cheese sandwiches, yeah. No, for sure. Tuna salad was a, a real thing. Ham salad was a very big bargaining tool. Yeah. That doesn't even sound appealing to this day. Like I still don't ever want to have a ham sandwich, ham salad or, or the peppermint schnapps. That that was appealing. Uh, that's no. I thought. I mean, I was <laughs> an undescript, indescript age. I will say. So being handed something like that to me made it seem like oh, like and I remember the phrase like this put hair on your chest. I was like, of course it will. I, I'm so old. I'm I'm a man. <laughs> I remember drinking that, and I was just like, this might make me sober for the rest of my life. Very um, very true which obviously it didn't um yeah as i'm sitting here drinking blue moon but uh yeah i just remember that like the first day i was like oh it's, it's like it's like doing communion in church when you're a kid and you're like oh i get to drink wine it's amazing then you drink it and you realize that they don't even do the two buck chuck from trader joe's they you know <laughs> wholesale it from somewhere and it's like oh yeah no i'm glad this is once a month or whatever it is and i have to look forward to that again for a while Except with deer camp, it was like every morning you're like, God, this shit again. Like, come yeah. on, man, can't can't he just sleep in and forget about it one day? Like it's a holy wholesale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, that's for sure. So uh tradition in our uh deer camp was you had so the regardless of age, the first year you went, you had to um you couldn't carry a gun. Like that was kind of the generic rule there. So the idea was you're gonna walk around with somebody else. You're going to kind of learn how things go, whether you're pushing or sitting, which for those of you who don't know about a deer drive in Iowa, it's called usually pushers or, or posters. Um, pushers walk a wood line, posters set up somewhere around the wood line and in a spot that they think the deer are going to run out. But either way, it didn't really matter. So if you're the first year, you're walking around with no gun in your hand to basically learn kind of how we do things, the safety of things, the order of things, yada, yada, yada. Um, and the second year you could you could go and shoot, but the, the standing tradition, regardless of what status you had in the group was that when someone got a deer, there was this really old guy he's since passed. Um, I guess we'll give a shout out to him because there's literally nothing this world can do to him anymore is uh, Ed. So Ed would always, uh, he drove around on this freaking was it a cutlass? I don't even remember what it was. It was this old, like giant old of a Buick or Mercury. Yeah. I think like you're right. It was, I think it was very, rectangular like <laughs> boat box shaped vehicles the trunk the hood and the body of the car all had the same dimensions like it was 
it was a mm-hmm. giant vehicle but anyway he'd drive around in that and that was what he hunted from he'd basically lean against it and hunt but it the trunk always had something in it whether it's peppermint schnapps peach schnapps something like that so whenever the ice was broken for the hunt someone got their first deer the bottle got passed around everybody took a quick swig and then at night sitting around the fire warming up because it was generally very cold during those seasons uh kind of the same concept and so anyway if you're a young buck or an old buck regardless of how much or how little you've ever had to drink you got broken at deer camp like that was a just a, a tradition of it i think it was a survival tactic probably at start too because you had <laughs> like a like 1800 square foot probably morton building garage that we'd all meet up at where they hang the deer where like we'd eat sometimes if we didn't go into the one standing building in that town that was the bar and grill um or stuff like that and <laughs> he had it's yeah it's the um, truth one, i should say one structurally stable building they were standing <laughs> just until someone you know threw a freaking baseball at it or something one day and yeah far even but um but or stared too hard in this direction but <laughs> uh, for sure anyways yeah like it's his morton building like it was a nice setup like nothing against that but he had like this little wood burning stove towards the back of it that probably had the BTU heating equivalent of your typical space heater you could buy at Costco and plug into the wall. Um, and they wouldn't, nobody would think to start it up before everyone got back either. So it'd just right. be cold, cold balls by the time you got there. And then they're like, well, I'll throw two logs in the fire and it'll warm up real quick. Don't worry, guys. Like, it's like, no, I think our body heat warmed it up faster than that thing did. Um, but yeah, yeah. I was back when I could stand cold. It was just like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, man, you can, I, can you imagine you today trying to stand that? You'd fall apart, dude. I don't know. I, I get I get used to the cold fairly quickly. Um, it always floors me because the I never expect to. Like I recognize, you know, living in Texas, what it does to people. What um, it does to and people. Stuff. I mean, look at Rogan now; he's way different. Um, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, even when I flew into Bozeman, like I purposely brought, like, I mean, it wasn't this jacket, it was the same thing, different color, um, because they're from Costco, uh, (laughs) and stuff, and it was too hot to wear in Austin, going to the airport, so I was just carrying it on my lap, and I threw it on, and I was looking for where you parked outside the airport, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of, like, not like, I wasn't sweating, but it was like, oh, it's kind of warm, like, unzipped it, and stuff, and it was just keeping it on, because, like, surely, like, it was going to hit me at some point, because it was, like, it wasn't below freezing, but it was like upper thirties or low forties or something. And it was like 78 or 80 something when I flew out of Austin. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it, I, I will definitely say the mornings hit me. Um, yeah. When we're actually in Wyoming, like every morning I would be like, kind of, you know, keeping like my breath down, like blowing myself, like whatever. And, uh, like at my extremities really like cold um but yeah by the afternoon it was like oh it's not that bad uh, it's warmed up because the sun's out and everything and we get back in the truck it's like it's 37 degrees it's like, oh <laughs> right. okay so it warmed up from 20 something to 30 something it's like you know but it's like i was just double the temperature over double the temperature a week ago oh, and i sure. like got used to it pretty quickly and then i came back to austin i was just like damn near pitting out in the office every day because it's like <laughs> 75 degrees in the office and I was in a polo and jeans. I'm like, oh, it's toasty in here. <laughs> and I might keep me as a space heater under a desk and whatnot. Oh, for sure. So it's still a part of your blood. You still got it. Yeah, it comes back quickly. But like, yeah. it's not it's not necessarily automatic. But So before we get to the Wyoming piece, I kind of just wanted to cover this. Because this was kind of a big thing that for me was a push. I don't know. Number one, uh, all of us live in different places now. So we obviously got to experience deer camp a couple times together, which was really cool. Um, but you know, yeah, our for, parents, you, yeah. for me, yeah, that's what I'm going to get to here in a second. But like my parents or our parents live, <laughs> there we go. My parents, your parents again. So our yeah. parents, that's a running joke. Uh, I'm adopted. Case anyone was wondering. <laughs> yeah. But I'm the redhead. So it's really, that's weird. why I'm way more handsome. Well, for sure. The flowing hair you have. So, uh, Anyway, so our parents live back in Iowa. Chris lives in Texas. I live in Montana, and, and every few years we'll be traveling around because my wife's military career. So, um, you know, for me, it was kind of the same. It's kind of cool, actually, to hear you say that the deer camp piece of it was what made you kind of want to go tag along in the first place because that's also the same drive I feel like I've had here in Montana 
is like, man, like we really don't get to spend a lot of time together. We get Christmas, you know, cause you always come up for Christmas, which is really cool. Um, you know, visit mom and dad, maybe a couple times a year if I travel back for work, but nothing permanent. So, but for the guys piece of it, that's kind of what got me on this kick of like, Hey man, I really want to like try to coordinate some kind of hunt that dad, Chris, and I can all go on every year and just have that time together. Cause it's, it's, if you've never been in a deer camp or whatever, as a guy or a girl or whatever, it's just like a special time. And it's kind of like a time you can kick loose. Nothing else matters. You can leave work behind, kind of leave your BS behind and just get to go cut loose with the dudes or gals or whatever, and just have a good time hunt. And it's kind of just a, I don't know, it's a really cool experience. So, but you know, with Chris wanting to go on this, so you had a really cool idea of what was going to happen, but then we ended up getting into some of these hunts and you kind of got, you, you, well, not kind of, you got turned off from hunting, like basically totally like soldier shotgun said, I'm done with it. Like, so walk me through that. Like I, I've, I've been through it, but I walked the people through it. So like, I understand like where your mentality shifted from, Hey, I want to be a part of deer camp to This isn't for me. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast episode today, guys. It was so much fun having my brother on, getting to reminisce about old times on the podcast and, and just spend some time with him um, on our time down in Wyoming on his first ever successful big game hunt. We're going to hear the story of that hunt on part three. Coming up next week in part two, we're actually going to take a little bit of a step back in the past and go over Chris's first big game experience uh, in the field on a deer hunt in Iowa and how that experience actually almost pushed him away from hunting completely. You know, and just this whole three-part story, you know, we're going to cover a lot and um, and kind of digest some stuff that, you know, about hunting safety and things like that. And, you know, knowing now that this is actually kind of a redemption story with Chris's success in Wyoming and the fun we had and just such a unique experience, it actually reminds me a little bit um, from a passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 which says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And just some reflecting on that verse, you know, the, the biggest things I pull from that is the perseverance produces character, character produces hope. And everything in life, you know, you can always hope for a better outcome in the future. No matter what you're going through now, whether it's good, bad, ugly, indifferent, you know, anything like that, there's always the hope because of what Jesus did for us to take us into the future, having hope for a better future, a better tomorrow. And at the end of the day, getting to, to go home to God, you know, at the end of this life here uh, before everything gets made new. And, you know, this story of Chris with his Wyoming antelope, I, I relate a lot to that because he went from the bottom of the absolute barrel in terms of hunting stories and what could turn someone off of hunting. And if you know anything about my brother, man, like he's uh he's good at what he does because of his mentality and he's a guy that's uh you know gonna always push through and do what he believes is right in his heart and he's gonna solidify it with you know experiences and facts and everything in his head he's just that kind of guy that's what makes him a great engineer and um you know but anyway the story that you're gonna hear next week is gonna tee this off of kind of that you know glory in our sufferings because sometimes suffering is what produces those the sweeter moments down the road and in part three we're going to see what that sweet moment looks like with his success in wyoming so thanks so much again for listening guys we appreciate you being a part of our audience if you would go leave us a star hopefully a five-star rating on your favorite podcast listening platform and stay tuned for next week with part two of this three-part series with my younger brother chris and he'll tell the story of what almost knocked him out of big game hunting Thanks again, and as always, keep praying and slaying.